Hi, this is Dan. And this is Joe. And this is Enough Room. And we're back like a boomerang. <laughs> That's yes. a thing now. It's been a while. <laughs> so season four. We're, we're on season four. Hello, wow. everyone. We were away for a hot minute, as yeah. they say. Um, <laughs> but now we're back. and it Ready was a, for a new season. Yeah, a new season. And I think I'm really excited. It's, I guess, been a real blessing in that we've seen how God... And the spirit is sort of moving mm. um, and sort of pushing us in certain directions. And um, that's what has me excited about today yeah. um, and our guest as well. And I think this is, um, it's interesting you say that because it, it is something that we have been thinking about doing for quite a while. And we have been trying to get in touch with this person for a while. <laughs> um, so we are very excited to have with us today, Alicia Johnston. Welcome. Thank you. I'm Really happy to be here. It's um, we just say before it's it's great how uh, technology can allow us to connect from other sides of the world. So yes, <laughs> yes. it's amazing. So when we had Paul Anthony on, he was from or he is from Kentucky, because um, I remember the whole KFC conversation. Mm. Um, Alicia, whereabouts in the states are you? I'm in Phoenix, Arizona. If we were to say, if I took a flight and. I should have checked on this, but if I took a flight <laughs> this morning from Sydney, which one would be closer, Phoenix, Arizona or Kentucky? Is that a weird question to ask? I think it's an important question, though. <laughs> um, it, it, I, think, I think it might be close. I'm not sure. You have to go over to the Pacific, which is bigger to get here. But if you went to Kentucky, you'd probably mm, go over the Atlantic. True. I'm guessing. Ah, yeah. yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's actually true. Because we're planning on making a trip over to the States at some point. Mm. Oh, well, then it's shorter to come here and cheaper and more wonderful. <laughs> oh, that's what you should do. Okay. There we go. <laughs> we, will, we will aim for that. <laughs> There's a reason why we tend to interview people in certain places because we're like, okay, that's next on the bucket list. So let's let's get a few people. Brilliant. <laughs> really, we're just trying to find this accommodation all over the world. Yeah. 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 And I'm so excited to have you with us, Alicia, and thank you so much for joining us. Um, there are quite a few reasons why we were so keen on having you on the podcast, um, and I'm sure we'll get into some of those reasons. Mm. Um, but... Uh, like Dan was saying, you know, it's amazing how God works. And I think um, this is one of those examples where um, he's just come in at the right time and he's brought you into um, enough room at just the right time as well, because um, I hear that you're coming out with a book soon, Alicia. Yes. Um, <clears throat> the crowdfunding campaign is starting next month on June 18. And that'll be the first opportunity to buy the book. So it'll be about a Kickstarter program or a Kickstarter campaign for 30 days. And then um, hopefully mm-hmm. I plan on and, and I think it's achievable, um, depending, my editor is almost done with the book. So depending on how many edits he wants me to make, um, I'm hoping to be <laughs> able to ship in September, it, I need some lead time for printing and stuff like that. So, so September should be the earliest mm-hmm. you can get your hands on the real thing. Yeah, and and that has me excited. Um, Growing up as Adventist, you could even say, you know, a conservative Adventist. I've read a lot of literature when it comes to being LGBTQ plus in the church. Um, And what has me excited about this is that this is, I guess, 
uniquely from an Adventist uh, point of view and within mm. the Adventist framework, if we're talking about theology. Um, so, yeah, that, that just has me really excited. And I just want to thank you um, for doing this and thank you for taking the time and putting this to paper. Because yeah. um, I think it, it's, I'm just thinking of little Joe back in the day, um, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking of little Alicia when I wrote it. <laughs> mm, mm. So, yeah, I, I understand. Or not even little. <laughs> <laughs> It took me a while, guys. <laughs> it took me a while. Oh, honestly, it's still it's still thirty-year-old Alicia. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Um, and, and and you know that's that's probably a good place to start. Tell us a bit more about Alicia. We want to know who Alicia is. Has she mm. always been Christian? Has she always been Adventist? Um, yeah. How did you get into this this world? Uh, well, I am a second generation Adventist mm -hmm. on both sides. So um, I don't know if other denominations actually locate themselves that way, what <laughs> what generation they are. Yeah. Um, I have talked to some people who are like UCC way back and they'll be, yeah. But I don't think it's a super common thing. Anyway, I'm second generation on both sides. Um, my dad went to an Adventist Academy and became Adventist. And then he met my mom and they did Bible studies on their dates and hmm. she became Adventist and they got married. Wow. So they both became Adventist um, early in life. My dad, when he was a teenager, my mom, when she was in her twenties, but um, they weren't raised Adventist. So um, my, my dad was raised church of God and my mom was raised Presbyterian. I think. Mm -hmm. Oh, I should know that. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah. So um, second generation on both sides. Um, my parents just really loved each other. And um, my dad since passed away. But so if mm -hmm. I'm speaking in the past tense, um, my parents both just very much loved each other and loved Jesus and more than anything wanted that for me as well. Um, I think it's actually probably the number one thing that they wanted for both me and my brother. Mm -hmm. And so we went to Adventist schools pretty much all the way through. Uh, I went to, um, you know, I went to a different school when I got a master's in psychology. But um, other than that, you know, I went, I went to Adventist schools. Um, I went to Academy. I had my first like, just real um experience with with god i think that deepened my level of commitment mm -hmm. like like a lot of us need to have especially who grew up in the church as we you know gain the ability for abstract and rational thought um and and are, are growing up and um that happened my junior year of academy and it was a um, really big deal in my life Mm -hmm. And I ended up going to Union College, um, which is a wonderful, wonderful place. And it was it was a great experience for the most part. Um, yeah. Didn't help me understand my sexuality at all. But other than that, <laughs> <laughs> it was it was quite a wonderful experience. Um, and I majored in theology. Uh, I thought it was I wasn't really sure what I was going to do. I, I never met a female pastor at that point. That wasn't really a thing. I'm not that old, but it wasn't really a thing. Yeah. 
and um, there were a few. I think there was an associate maybe who was at, at College View at the time. Um, and that was probably it. And um, I decided to go into psychology anyway. Um, long story short, I uh, had a lot of kind of questions and, and doubts about my faith and really found myself at a crossroads in my 20s and just was compelled, I think, or I know I was just compelled by the beauty of the sacrificial love of God as manifest in the crucifixion of Jesus, mm. that the most powerful, um, you know, God of all creation would voluntarily lay down their life for their, for their creation as mm. an act of love, just was so compelling to me. And it was such a beautiful truth to center your life around. Mm. And so that really started started working in me to eventually kind of call me back to ministry over a, a period of years as, as I kind of worked that out. So I was a counselor and left doing that in order to go to seminary, um, which was a um, it, it was a really scary decision because you have kind of a career that is stable mm -hmm. and you're going going back to seminary um knowing that very few women got jobs in fact it was kind of during the financial crisis the big the big one and um mm. like nobody was getting hired you know yeah. the guys weren't even <laughs> hired so i was like well hopefully by the time i graduate things will be a little bit better but um you know not a lot of uh, it was that way then and i think it's that way now still it's just like not a lot of women get calls so it was kind of it was scary you know like what am i what am i doing or what i'm going to do with this but you know when you have a sense that god is calling you to do something mm. you, you do it yeah. so um, that's what I did. And, um, I really, I really loved seminary. Like it was, it was hard in a lot of ways. And there were some other things going on, um, around, I actually, um, had no idea, not, it seems strange to say I had no idea now, because in retrospect, there's a lot of things that are more clear, but at the time I was not did not have conscious awareness that I was attracted to women. Mm. Um, and I became aware of that while I was at seminary. And wow. it was like, it was so hard. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I, it was, you, you, I mean, you deserve you probably probably know it just it, it was so hard. It felt Yeah, it felt so um, just I didn't know what to do with it, with that information. Mm. Um, I'm bi, so I'm attracted to men and I always have been attracted to men. And so I didn't, you know, the conversation in the Adventist church is like, are you gay or straight? Yeah. There's, there's no, there's no like <laughs> other options. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, I'm not gay, like I guess. And, and some of the, 
some of the things that you kind of hear like, well, it's a feeling and it's a choice. Mm. And, you know, according to the choice you make, like you can change over time or these things can shift like that. That stuff seems to make a lot more sense if you're bi than it does if yeah. you're gay, right? Like, mm, like yeah. you can, you can, you can kind of work on that, and it seems, it seems to be working. So, I, um, yeah. So I didn't really think of myself as as part of the queer community or the LGBTQ community um, because I didn't think I was gay. And yeah. um, anyway, so I was working through all that at the same time. I'm at the seminary and more than anything, I'm hoping that I can get a call to ministry. Um, so it was kind of a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm just listening to you and I'm like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> you know, a woman stepping into ministry and then at the same time you're dealing with questions about your sexuality. Like yeah. how much pressure does one person need in yeah. their lives at that time? Yeah, seriously. Mm. And like, you know, I knew that no matter how committed I was to following the the church's teachings on the matter, that it, it wouldn't matter if people heard about it or knew about it. You know, mm. it was already so difficult to find a position at all that adding that on top of it and, and people at the seminar, like this, I don't know, I really hope things are better now. I know there are some professors who are much better now, but the understanding at the seminary at the time was just basically, it was usually framed as more of a sex addiction than mm. a sexual orientation. It mm. certainly wasn't thought of or conceptualized as in any way morally similar to being straight, you know, in terms of the behaviors yeah. people make. I, I don't yeah. think... I, I can't recall any references in seminary to LGBTQ people who kind of had stable lives or were making the kinds of decisions that were that are respected within the church context. Like, yeah, it was more of, oh, I had this friend in the 60s and, you know, he went to San Francisco, like literally and, you know, was really into drugs and had lots of sex and got AIDS and came back to God later in life. And now he's dead. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Or it, it was yeah. more like, it was more stuff like, it was more stuff like that. And yeah. there was certainly no understanding of the massive amount of trauma that someone who was gay went through yeah. in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s, mm, with yeah. most largely as a direct result of things that the church taught mm. and just the way that society didn't care when gay men were dying. And so yeah, the age yeah. crisis just ravaged, like there was none of, none of, none of that nuance. It, it was more yeah. of the implication of like, Oh, well, he sinned, so he got AIDS. Yeah. You know, and, and which is, oh, my gosh, yeah. you know? I, yeah. I don't want to sort of, and you raise a very important point that I think, you know, people need to just pause for a moment and think about that because if little Joe is growing up and he's hearing something like that in church or wherever it is, um, it sort of gives me the impression that, okay, when I grow up, if I'm going to be gay or because I am gay, I am going to live a life of drug addiction, mm. of 
you know, promiscuity or whatever it is. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know if the church understands how, you know, just damaging that sort mm. of rhetoric is, even when they're talking about someone's life um, and how they may have gone to San Francisco and, you know, um, got into drugs, etc. Just, I'm just thinking of again, little Joe, <laughs> hearing mm-hmm. that and going, that's going to be my future. Yeah. And yeah. there's nothing I can do about it because... I am gay. It's yeah. oh yeah, it just messes messes with my head. I yeah, I never I my experience growing up wasn't quite like that, but mm. I've heard many gay men tell me that mm. they had that exact same thought growing mm. up in the church. Mm. Like I don't want to be like this. One of my friends says he thought he was a monster because he was gay, you know, and mm. it's it's just so sad. It's just so sad and mm unnecessary it's just the pain we inflict on people when we're afraid and we don't understand them and we create an enemy and it's it's so hard when you're talking about the lgbtq community because we are there hearing the conversations and you don't know it and it's a different dynamic than a lot of others because you you know people in the church tend to think that they're talking to people who are straight and cisgender yeah and they're probably not entirely correct yeah (laughs) and um yeah it's it's just really it's just really sad and i I, when i was in seminary i didn't i didn't have that perception of gay people or queer people like I, i was quite certain that you could live your life how you chose to live it on how you believe God wanted you to live it, whatever your orientation was. Mm. But I could definitely see that that was not the framework that the people around me were coming from. And so it even I, I even went into um, like one of the seminary professors for um, who was a psychologist once and told him about it i can't believe i did that it was horrible (laughs) (laughs) it was horrible he basically told me uh to avoid sexual thoughts and i was like i'm not fantasizing ever yeah (laughs) (laughs) like that's not what's happening here like i literally never do that (laughs) i'm I'm sorry i'm laughing because i'm like oh oh you're fine it's funny it's just it's i was listening to something the other day and it just really made reminded me of how much um we equate attraction with lust or sex like for some reason conservative christians seem to they find it hard to separate those two things and not realize that sometimes when you just say you're attracted to something that doesn't necessarily mean you're always lusting after them and you're always having these sexual fantasies about them. Um, yeah. Also, just, just yeah. because I'm gay does not mean that I find everyone <laughs> attractive in a sexual way, you know, or attractive in any way. I'm sorry, <laughs> but it just, just doesn't work that way. Uh, it's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I mean, needless to say, that wasn't like a safe environment. So I, I did find a few friends I could confide in, and I found some some things that I read that helped some, 
and I basically kind of went on with life. And I mean, really after a couple years, um, of really vigilantly avoiding those feelings, I, I didn't experience much attraction to women at all for a, for a while. Mm. Um, I also probably didn't experience a whole lot of attraction to men either. I feel like, I don't know, you can't like selectively numb yourself, you know, and, Mm. and, and when you, when you kind of just like quarantine off a section of yourself, there is a loss there that really became apparent to me when I stopped doing that. (laughs) Mm. And, and I suddenly felt so much more just alive. Um, it was quite remarkable, but, um, yeah, that, that didn't happen until much later. So, um, yeah, I, so I went to seminary and ended up graduating, ended up, um, eventually getting a call to the Carolinas to do church planting mm-hmm. and ended up, um, it was, it was a lot during that time in my life. My dad ended up getting diagnosed with terminal cancer. Oh. And so I moved back to Arizona, not having a job. And that was wild <laughs> mm. and, um, ended up actually after not too long getting a job, pastoring a wonderful church. And I was the sole pastor of that church, which um, was incredible. And I felt like, like, it just, especially like for for women, that doesn't happen very much at all. Like you Mm. usually are an associate pastor for like many years before you get the opportunity um, to pastor your own church. So um, it was, it was wild. I was like, I can't believe this happened. This is incredible this church is great. Like, I'm so happy here. This is, this is, this is what it's all been leading up to. And I just want to be here and build this church. Yeah. So that's kind of where my headspace was. And, um, then I was, um, at camp meeting and I was in charge of the youth at camp meeting, which was a trip. <laughs> and um, if anyone who's who's done anything like that in the Adventist church, um, you know, it's like 12, 14 hour days every day. And mm. You're just like, it's, you know, you're just going. Yeah. You're just going constantly. It's maybe mm. even more than that. You're just trying to sleep as much as you can. And um, so, but it was, it was amazing. It was so great. I was working with these cool people. It was just a lot of fun and I, I loved it. And Sunday morning, a bunch of us went out to breakfast, um, pastors and, and some other conference employees. We went out to, to breakfast just to kind of unwind from the week. And as we were getting ready to go, one of the people there, one of my friends said, did you hear about the shooting last night? And of course there's shootings mm. all over the place and, um, in America, <laughs> <You're> in <laughs> Australia. So you mm. guys banned assault rifles and 
also your mass shootings went away, but yeah, I'm sure that's a coincidence. Mm. Anyway, um, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. So, um, anyway, so he had said that there had been a shooting last night and it was just kind of like another one. And then he said it was in a gay bar Mm. and, um, my first thought when he said that was i hope that this is not some fanatical christian who's decided to kill all the scary gay people (laughs) and um like that was my first thought like oh i hope that's not what it is because i really understood the deep level of fear and sometimes anger and disgust that often happens in Christian communities towards LGBTQ people. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, of course it turned out not to be, uh, but that re- reaction of mine really kind of told me a lot about how I saw where we were at as a church towards LGBTQ people. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Enough Room. We'll be dropping another episode in about a week's time. So until then, follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook. Till next time. Bye.